You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Break a Bat Podcast, where baseball meets Broadway. An attempt to show that my two favorite mediums don't have to live in such separate worlds and maybe even break some stigmas. We're happy to have you with us. Now let's play ball. Hello and welcome to Break a Bat. I'm your host, Al Malafronte, coming at you for the Broadway Podcast Network. Uh, I always enjoy doing these types of episodes. Uh, when we get to welcome folks to the show who are so synonymous with the holiday season, uh, with these crazy times we're living in, I think we all find a lot of solace in coming together with family and friends, as many as we can this year anyway. And uh, of course, the traditions that make this time of year so special. And uh, as many of our loyal listeners know, I'm kind of a Christmas junkie. Uh, after Halloween, I think it's fair game when it comes to the music and the movies. Uh, I will say I do like to hold off on the decorations until after Thanksgiving. That's mainly because I'm in no rush to head up to the attic back at my mom's house when I'm home that weekend. Um, so tonight we're lucky enough to be joined by a veteran of uh, TV and film who's hit many big home runs throughout her career. Uh, over the years, she's hit right in the heart of the lineup in anything from glory days to Girlfriends Got to Divorce, to The Resident, to Captain America Civil War, as well as a number of great Christmas films on Lifetime. And I think our audience probably remembers from last year's holiday block that for me personally, um, growing up in a house with two women, my mom and sister have these films on a loop. So in many ways, almost indirectly, my guest tonight is almost as synonymous with the holiday season for me as Bing Crosby or Charlie Brown. And <laughs> I've always been a big fan of her work on screen. Her always positive and funny disposition off screen, which I think we all need right now. And uh, her newest film, Christmas on the Vine, is set to premiere this Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern time on Lifetime. And we're so grateful she could join us tonight. So with that being said, if you'll please turn your attention to home plate, just be on the marquee, now batting Juliana Gwill. Juliana, welcome to Break a Bat. Thank you, Al, and your pronunciation of both of my names. Like, rarely does that happen. Thank you so much. <laughs> Once you appear, like, you know, in a dozen feature films and all these TV shows, don't more people start to, you know, know how to pronounce it? No, you know, Al. You... No. <laughs> And I get it. They're not easy names. They don't roll off the tongue. But thank you. <laughs> what, what, what's the origin of Juliana Gwill, by the way? What type of last name is Gwill? Gwill is French Huguenot. <laughs> Comes from Guillaume, which is French for William. Uh, do you have some like uh, family lineage down in uh, New Orleans? No, I don't. The very much English, English, Welsh, and French. Okay, that's a pretty good combo. I'm Italian, and my last name means bad forehead in Italian. I'm wearing a hat tonight, so you can't really judge, but... That's really funny. My daughter says, instead of forehead, she says head for, and <laughs> she's three, and it's really one of those things that we're just holding on to. It's like, if she says it in front of anyone in the room who doesn't know what she means... Don't correct her. Don't correct her. We want we want head for to stay around for as long as possible. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Now, let me ask you. Uh, you know, I know you're out in Cali now. Did you jump on the LA sports bandwagon with the Lakers and the Dodgers this year? I'm so happy for both of them. Lakers, I was psyched about. Dodgers, honestly, I wanted the Braves to go 
to go to the series. So I, I mean, I'm psyched the Dodgers won, but for my brother and my dad who are lifelong diehard Braves fans, I was disappointed for them. I feel like, I feel like the Southern teams, you know, I'm from North Carolina. And so they're Braves people by sort of like the closest team they could get their hands on. And they could have used a, they could have used a little love. So that was disappointing, but go Dodgers. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna get a lot of people aren't going to like this. My LA people aren't going to like this, but go Dodgers. <laughs> the, the Braves will be back to use a little Broadway uh, allusion to Hamilton there. Like, you know, the song you'll be back. They, they, they're, they've got a good young core. I, I'm sure that your dad and your brother are going to get to see not just a championship, but championships. So you'll have, you'll have good holiday seasons when you go back home to visit next year. Totally. <laughs> so you've been pretty busy this year, uh, despite everything going on. Why don't you tell me a little bit about uh, Juliana's 2020? Busy. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of different types of busy and the kind of busy I feel like I've been in 2020 is mother of a three-year-old in quarantine pandemic uncharted waters busy, which has been a mixed bag. I mean, I was in Canada, in Vancouver, shooting Christmas on the Vine when COVID really started to take hold and we were realizing the country was headed towards a lockdown. So I believe Christmas on the Vine wrapped one day before the Canadian and U.S. border closed, which I cannot, I just cannot believe we finished that movie. I'm so happy it happened. I'm so glad I did it. And when it, when we wrapped that final shot, we were all just sort of in shock that the next day we were getting on a plane thinking like, all right, you know, maybe we'll go, uh, go stateside for a couple weeks, hunker down, get cozy. It's LA winter. And then maybe that'll be that. But of course that launched into the next seven months and my daughter, Mabel, her little school shut down for March, April, May, June, and navigating being at home all the time, also trying to keep projects going, figure out what I want to and what I can direct next and keep producing some of the projects that I have in development. It's really a challenge to do that when one, the world shuts down and you don't know what's coming next. And two, your child needs you all the time and you are their key source of stimulation. It was a big adjustment. So yes, busy is definitely one way to look at it for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you accomplished all this stuff before the pandemic because even Silent Date was right before everything yes, you know, yes. hit the fan too, right? Yeah, Silent Date was. So Silent Date is a short film. It was my directorial debut. And I am so excited to finally be at the point where we're about to share it with the world. It is a almost entirely true story by Brittany Ross, who's a brilliant writer and actress and a very dear friend of mine. And she came to me in 2018 with this concept. And we just both knew this tale needed to become a film. And then Martin Starr came on board to star opposite Brittany. And he's a, an old friend of mine, actually through Matt Bush, who I met doing Glory Days. 
And it all really took off and came to life. A small production company called Can't Not were our champions. And it was the first time I got to get behind the camera, which I've wanted to do for 15 years and was very nervous about. And then it just couldn't have felt more right. And now we are, though we uh, had a lot of delays with the pandemic, of course, and the... the, um, screening schedule, the film submissions, the film festival schedule, it all was really thrown for a loop. But now here we are at the end of 2020 and we are looking at a few options for premiering it online. And I think we'll be able to do that in the next couple of weeks, which is just really exciting. Now, one thing I'm curious about, so this is your first go at directing. Now in baseball, just to use a little, you know, parallel here, because that's what we do on this show. This is is a baseball podcast. That's why you have me here to do these parallels. I'm totally going to (laughs) understand. So how about this one? So, you know, quite often you have a lot, and, and, and by no means are you a rookie in the entertainment industry, but rookie in directing. So you have a lot of first year managers that'll have like an experienced bench coach alongside them to help them navigate. Did you have like someone alongside you helping you call the shots and giving you feedback and whatnot? Totally. I had an angel and his name is John Brawley and he is an absolute tour de force director of photography, cinematographer. I met him on the resident when he was the DP on that show. And I happened to be, it was, I guess maybe February of 2019 and I we were on set I was doing an episode of The Resident and we were talking about this short film I was going to direct and how I was nervous and excited and he said well who's going to shoot it and I said well I don't know and he said I'll shoot it and I said you'll come to LA and shoot this for me and he said yeah sure like if, if I'm free yeah sure so John came and his partner, Jess, who's also a DP and a fantastic one. They flew from Atlanta to Los Angeles and they really, John really made silent data reality for me and having him by my side to shoot this short gave me the confidence that we were going to get the shots. The movie was going to get made and that level of I was able to relax and really focus on the creative side of it, knowing I had him there to support me and, and hold me up and hold me accountable too. I learned so much from him and I just, I'm forever in his debt. He is incredible. He'd recently worked on the great, which is such a great show and just did a movie with Naomi Watts. And now he's here doing the morning show. That's amazing. Now, what can folks expect when they when they watch the film? Like, what are we talking in terms of genre and storyline? How much can you give away? Oh, I can give it all away. It's a comedy <laughs> about a girl who gets into a relationship with a serial narcissist and what it takes to find her way back to her. It's funny and kind of dark in that it's a psychological spiral many women have been through getting into a relationship with someone who they feel they must change themselves for in order for the relationship to work. And I have found in sharing this story and talking to, I mean, with men and women that it's fairly universal and many people have had an experience, even if it's not a romantic relationship with a relationship in their lives where 
you find that you've compromised so much of yourself to make it work. And when you zoom out, you realize it's not worth it. And you've essentially lost the things you love most about yourself. So extracting yourself from that and moving forward. And that's what the short's about. And Martin and Brittany are dynamite together. They're just so funny. And both have such incredible improvisation skills. And Brittany wrote such a beautiful and poignant and funny script to begin with. It was just a joy to bring to life. Now you're a great actress to your, yourself. Do you ever like feel compelled to, you know, give feedback on how you think certain lines should be delivered, you know, kind of in, you know, the own, you know, the, your own Juliana Gills uh, style? You know, I, I'm still, I guess everyone is always learning, but it is safe to say I am still learning how to direct and what the most effective methods are. And it, what's what I noticed that is interesting to me is that the more time you have, which basically means the more money you have, the more money you have, the more time you have to really get to something and let it breathe and use direction other than line reading to use direction that is motivational, that is character driven, that is situational rather than saying, what if you just said it like this? Okay, got it, go. And when you don't have time, you really have to get creative with how you deliver a direction, knowing that you only have two, two takes, two or three takes. And that was, a, that was a big challenge for me. And I really did learn a lot. And I found that while I absolutely need to trust my own instincts and make sure that my message is conveyed, trusting your actors to bring their own voice to these moments. And that usually that ends up being even better than anything you could have conceived is really the most important part of directing. Now, do you think that Lifetime is going to see this movie and maybe ask you, you know, to serve as actress and director on, you know, next, next year's uh, holiday slate of films? So great. I would love that. And I would be so honored. And it's definitely on my mind. I want to talk to them about that. And I want to broach that subject with them. They are such a wonderful company and network. I love working with them. So yes, I'm really hopeful that that can happen. And I definitely have a few Christmas film concepts for them too. So we'll see, you know, we'll see how Christmas on the vine goes, but I, I really hope so. I really hope that's in the future of my relationship with them. Now, on Christmas on the Vine, I understand you play the role of Brooke, a young marketing executive who's enlisted to save a winery in small t- a small Christmas town. You know, that picturesque mm-hmm. you know image that we get on uh, here in New York. It's like Channel 45 if you have cable vision. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the film and uh, you know what we can uh, look forward to on Friday night? So Brooke is from a small town, but she's moved to a big city and she's got this great marketing job that she is not finding she is bringing her much fulfillment and she really misses home and she misses that small town vibe and she convinces her boss to let her go back to where she's from to use her marketing skills to save a a vineyard in her town that's being taken over by this like wine conglomerate. And the vineyard just so happens to be run by a very handsome a man actor named John Core playing Tyler, 
who the, the vineyard is failing and they, you know, they're afraid they're going to have to foreclose and Brooke swoops in, puts a lot of Christmas decorations up and <laughs> through her marketing skills and sheer determination, she and Tyler end up saving this vineyard and bringing on a, a sponsor to, so that the family business can keep going. It is, it's a really fun, sweet movie. John Core is a joy to work with. And I had a lot of fun. Our, our director, Paul, is an absolutely hilarious, very, very brilliant man who I enjoyed working with so much. And you know, these movies, they're, they really are what you make them going into it. And for me, they're just a great experience all around. You, you know, they, they're really fast. We shoot them quickly you work really long hours so you get so close with your crew and I also have kind of pivoted my brain in the past couple years to really use these shoots as experiences to understand what's going on behind the camera as well and when you're in basically every shot you have a lot of opportunity to do that and to focus on the setups and how they're covering something and the creative ways directors navigate you know, not a lot of money and not a lot of time. Uh, so I feel lucky to to get to have this onset experience and and really honored to be in these movies that that bring so much joy in the holiday season to so many. I just imagine these lifetime Christmas shoots like being filled with like tables of like eggnog pitchers and gingerbread and everything smelling like pine. Bing Crosby's playing. Is that accurate in any way? I mean. It is when the camera's rolling. I would usually they're being shot. The one I did for Lifetime in 2019 was shot in Toronto in July. So that was, you know, fake snow and we're sweating in the coats. And but it's so it, I think the behind the scenes is a little bit different, but that's the magic of it. You know, you'd never know. It's very cozy. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. <laughs> now out in LA, I mean, despite everything going on, are you yourself getting into the holiday spirit? It's funny you ask. I went to pick up something today at a, a store, like a, an on, I had done an online order for a local shop here called Daughter. Daughter's a great store. Ladies who are listening, if you don't know it, it's in Highland Park. And it was these tea towels I'd ordered. And I went in there, was just going to swoop in, pick up the towels and leave. I spent $100 on Christmas ornaments. I couldn't help myself. This is the first time I'm going to be in Los Angeles for Christmas ever. So I feel like I'm hunkering down for an epic LA holiday season, though, of course, it will be challenging in some ways and different Corona and COVID wise, but pretty excited. And yeah, I'm into it. I am into the holiday season. I'm with you. I think after Halloween, especially in 2020, let's just lean in. What's going to bring you joy. I, 
fully support it. So have you been spending, you know, your previous Christmases down in North Carolina? North Carolina. Yeah, we, we always go to North Carolina. So this would be a big change for us. Now, are, is the L.A. crowd ready to like, you know, throw some Christmas parties, you know, in a controlled setting for the folks at home? No, I think so. I think we all at this point. L.A. is such a big city. And what I've noticed with our friends is we have had to like for survival and support and community, we've sort of potted off regionally. So there's like a West side friendship pod that I just, I wish I was there every day, but I'm not. And it's far and COVID, uh, but we have sort of our East side pod that we, you know, try to be as, cautious and careful as we can and yes i do think we over here it's just a few people we'll see each other outdoors etc over the holidays uh, maybe with a fire maybe with a heat lamp maybe it's la so something's on fire and it's heating us up anyway <laughs> but yes i think we will get to do some holidays celebrating for sure now, being an entertainer, do you feel compelled to like be the life of the party? Or are you more the type that just like kind of blends in with the crowd? That's funny. Um, I mean, I love a party. I'm wondering what my like what my husband would say to that. He'd probably answer honestly, and I'm probably not answering honestly. So, I, I like to throw a party. I really like to throw a party. So, I feel like host is where I'm most comfortable, and. That's probably what I will do. Yeah. So Southern roots is something about like that Southern hospitality. I, I totally can see that, you know, in your DNA. You're right. And my mom, my mom threw so many parties and still does. She's incredible. She, that's absolutely where I get it. So you were right. <laughs> now you mentioned your mom and, you know, I know you've talked in the past about, uh, you know, you and your family grew up in Salem, Winston, North Carolina, and your mom was very big on the arts. Does it seem like the road you've taken is really just inevitable growing up in a house like that? Hmm. Good question. Inevitable. Gosh, I don't know. You know, I left home. I went to NYU when I was 18. Sure that I would spend four years there. And that that was inevitable. And that was certainly not. I, I spent about three months there. And then when I was 18, I ended up moving out to California and taking a leave of ab absence from NYU that I never, I never went back there. It would, it's a wonderful school. It just wasn't quite for me at the time. And I think, I think naivete plays a large part in pursuing dreams. And I think you have, you have, there's a lot you have to not know in order to really go for something. If you knew all the hardship that was coming, I don't know if you could stomach it. And I look back at that time and think, oh my gosh, I just, I really had no idea what I was getting myself into. I'm sure that my background in arts and my mom's background in the arts really did propel that. And as a child, my sister and brother and I, you know, we made movies for fun. That was our thing with a video camera, rewinding and stopping and fast forwarding and rewinding and doing it, you know, and our little brother was our prop and it was great fun. It really was. So I guess, yes, in some ways 
I was bound to land in the arts, but my life has taken other paths at different times. While I've always, always wanted to pursue acting and, and directing, I have done other things in the meantime. I, when I was pregnant with Mabel, I finally finished my undergraduate degree at UCLA for psychology, which is something that I really wanted to do. And I'm so glad I did it. And that was totally not inevitable. I mean, that was a sheer force of will from a nine month pregnant woman. But there, there are a lot of elements to being in this business. You really have to be ready to ride the wave. Are you comfortable with it now, all these years into it? I mean, you've done some big projects. I mean, you, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, obviously there's a minor league journey, so to speak, mm-hmm. and there's a struggle. I'm sure, you know, when you first moved out to LA, I know you've worked, you worked a few odd jobs and, you know, you did you waitress, which was great too. Um, but yeah, all these years later, are you comfortable with it? Or do you think the fact that you had that struggle makes you appreciate it more and, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, you seem so down to earth and, you know, you talk about your background with psychology now, like where do you stand on, you know, your status in, in show business? I think that all of these years you get really comfortable with, it never gets easy, but you do get comfortable with the inevitability of rejection and knowing that if you get rejected from something, something else is coming. If you, if you stick with it, it is a numbers game. They always say that, but it really is. I mean, if you keep practicing, if you keep showing up to the field, you see what I did there, then it will go your way eventually at some point. And almost every project I've ever done has opened another door. And I love people. So I feel like every project I do, I... I'm so lucky to take like one or two just fantastic people with me from that and on this, on this journey. So I, I guess I am in many ways comfortable with it because I have the perspective now and parenthood has frankly changed me a lot as well. I, you just, you start to look at things differently and, you know, Christmas on the vine, when that, when that offer came in, I probably would have bellyached over that years ago, wondering what does this say about what I, my choices and what does this mean for me moving forward? And now I know that what it says is that I love to work. I love to work with wonderful, generous people. And that's who lifetime is. That's what they do. And I, I love to bring joy to people and I love to be on set. And so you say yes to that job. And you're crazy if you don't. I think that's what I've learned at this point is mostly say, say yes. And also you get to a point where you are able to leave a few things behind and start to be more selective about how you want to shape the rest of your life and the rest of your career. Oh, here comes my daughter. Mabel. We're doing a podcast. Maybe I'll take my hat off if you tell me. Uh, I, I hear that uh, you're pretty good at judging uh, head force. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Come here so we can see you. Good or bad? <laughs> For all listeners, she's in her pajamas, which is her favorite outfit. And she. I have new ones on. She has new ones on. 
you know, you had touched on, uh, you know, one door opening another. What was like the first, uh, like, I made it moment for you? Because you, you got some big projects in the early part of the decade. Was there one where you really felt like, uh, damn, I could really have a future in this industry? I think there were some big moments for me. The The first, you know, interestingly, gosh, big moments of different kinds. I did this web series so long ago called My Alibi. And I met Allison Bree and Serena Fialo. And we worked together every weekend for like two years. And when that web series that nobody ever saw was over, we realized that in order to really keep our friendship up, we were going to have to now be real friends. And we became best friends. And those, those relationships launched into this totally different part of my life, uh, best friendom. And also we had a cover band and we performed in New York and LA and, and San Francisco. And it was just like such a special part of my career and journey. And so that was, that was a really big moment and a very big personal moment for me, because those are lifelong friendships that led to so many other things. Career wise, I think you know, Glory Days, which was a series for TBS. That was the first time I'd ever gotten the opportunity to be a series regular. And we didn't get to do that show for very long. I think ultimately it kind of was made at the wrong time. Also, it was an hour long comedy about college in the eighties. It really probably should have been a half hour. It just, it wasn't quite right, but those people, man, that family was so special. And Getting to, sorry, my daughter's screaming in the background. Stan, Stan, the sound engineer is not happy with this moment. Sorry, Stan. But um, can't help it. Can't do anything about it. It's not going to stop. You're good. But yeah, Glory Days was big for me. Crazy Stupid Love was big for me because that was like my first, I mean, it was such a small part, but it was my first real experience with like stars working with star being a part of a film that was just something that I want to watch over and over again and getting to, you know, act a scene written by Dan Fogelman, who at this point, you know, is a household name as a writer and producer. And uh, that, that was crazy and really exciting for me. Um, I'm trying to think what else along the way, the resident, honestly, the resident was a personally for me, a big, breakout moment because the level of acting like really just heart-wrenching acting I got to do on that show with with Emily and Matt Zucri and and Manish and Chanette that was that was a big moment for me and it also enabled me to I I became really close with Rob Korn who is the producing director of The Resident and he became a mentor for me in many ways as a director and I got to shadow him on that show so yeah, I've been really lucky to have these moments over the years but when you say things like you've made it I just laugh because it just feels it feels like starting over every time I mean I have no idea what I'm doing next I uh, you know, for the past couple weeks in this pandemic with Brittany Ross and uh, another best friend of mine, an actress named Kate French, we've been doing these little political comedy sketches on Instagram that we've written and I've been directing. And that's been a source of great fun. But professionally, I really don't know what next year is going to bring. 
Yeah, that level of uncertainty. And it's the same way in baseball. I remember one of my favorite quotes that Derek Jeter had was that it's not an I made it moment. It's an opportunity to win a job, right? That's that's always been something that has really stood out to me. And, uh, you know, you mentioned Crazy Stupid Love, which was really a huge break for you. It is also Matt Demetroff's favorite rom-com. He's a good friend of the show. Uh, being on set with Steve Carell and Ryan Gosling like that, do you have any... Uh, and I also have to preface, you know, I'm a big Office fan, so love Michael. Love me some Michael Scott. Oh, what do you remember about uh, being on set for that? I, mean, I am a huge fan of theirs. And I unfortunately wasn't on set with them because they weren't in my scene and it was pretty isolated. But my... What I did get from that movie is that I totally win the six degrees from Kevin Bacon game every time because I'm the degree. I mean, I was in a movie with him. So now I can say it. I, I did it. Uh, but yeah, that, I mean, that experience was wild. And, and really the only, the only person I know personally from, from that is, is Emma because she is very, she's best friends with a best friend of mine. And so I've met Emma quite a few times and she's just a lovely human being, but otherwise I didn't get to meet them because they weren't there. And that's kind of how, that's kind of how the business works. If you're not in the scene, you know, you're usually not going to see somebody. (laughs) Yeah. I know. I know that, uh, yeah, I mean that's that's one that has definitely stood the test of time for me. And I, you mentioned you work with the resident. I think you did such a phenomenal job acting. If you had like a fantasy project that you could either act or direct in, do you have something in the works that maybe you could tell us about? I had a fantasy project. I mean, I would love to do a dark, hour-long female-driven detective drama. That is, I love that genre and it's very satisfying to me on many levels. I think I look at shows like the great, I don't know. Has anyone watched it? Have you watched it yet? It's wonderful. So it's Elle Fanning and that's a dream job. I mean, period piece, but satirical comedy. It's very irreverent it's a lot like, oh gosh, it's escaping me now. The movie that Emma Stone starred in and uh, Olivia Coleman it won an Oscar, The Favorite. I don't know if you saw The Favorite, but a couple years ago, tonally the greatest like that. And that's really my sense of humor. And I just love the period piece of it all. That would be that would be a dream job. I'd love to like put a corset on and go, you know, say some funny lines. I'd love to see you do something like that. I will say, though, part of me was maybe hoping, because I know you have a little bit of a background in musical theater back oh you know, growing up in North Carolina. Musical any day. Any I would day. love to see you on Broadway. That would oh, be awesome. I'd love to be on Broadway. Look, I thought we were talking strictly film. Put me, I mean, put me in a musical. I would love to do that. And that would be amazing. Guys and Dolls is one of my favorite of all time. I really want to have this idea that do like a, modern day guys and dolls meets the town so it's like boston gangsters but guys and dolls thematically so maybe i'll get to work on that now and um we'll probably see that on broadway within the next few years because that's how that works right just you think of it and you call lynn and lynn says i can do it and then your musical is a uh, worldwide sensation 
Well, yeah, now that obviously, you know, you talked about it on the Break About podcast, I think it's really going to gain steam. And, you know, as far as Broadway coming back, this is clearly the definitive project to, you know, to bring the industry, you know, back to where it needs to be. We've been practicing here. We, we listen to Hamilton every day. Mabel knows many words to many songs. She's not throwing away her shot. So, yeah, we're, we're a big Broadway family over here for sure. What's your all-time favorite show that you've gotten to see here? Oh, my gosh. I mean, Hamilton, like hands down. Did Just you see it with the OG cast, like Lynn and Leslie and all those? I didn't see Lynn, but everybody else. Lynn was off that night. But um, gosh, it's criminal that I don't know the actor who was second on that day. Uh, who was it? But he was amazing. I mean, he's the one who overtook the role after Lynn left. He was incredible. I loved it. Yeah, that's I I can relate to that because I saw Dear Evan Hansen basically with all of the original cast, less Ben Platt because it was like one of those things where because tickets were in such high demand too, you yeah. kind of had to work it out with the budget when you want to go. So a Saturday in February seems inevitable, and then next you know this is like six months in advance. Next thing you know, they announced that he's leaving, but you still get to see an amazing product and you know all of the you know original folks that helped bring it to life, and it's still just as satisfying, which is usually my answer for like my favorite show. Yeah, it, I mean, it was, it was like kind of life changing. I'm sure many Hamilton fans feel like that. Absolutely, and uh, you know what? Just to you know, maybe give you a premature welcome, you know, to the Broadway world. Actually, the baseball meets uh, Broadway world. What we like to do on this show to wrap every uh, episode is a little segment called Fastball Derby, okay. and you've given an amazing performance tonight you know you've gotten your share of hits um, a few home runs as well giving us a lot of great insight uh you know because you're a director now you could kind of be like the manager as well or the coach mm-hmm. and uh this is your chance to bring it home and basically an, an opportunity for everyone listening to learn a little bit more about you where i'll ask you a question and you tell me what comes to mind how does that sound that sounds great good luck to me <laughs> well, Raldus Chapman might be on the mound throwing 105 miles an hour. Do you know who Raldus Chapman is? Totally. Yeah, that's his jersey in the background there, I see. I, okay, yeah, number 54. Okay, I thought I saw that. Yeah. Fan, <laughs> huge fan. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's play fastball derby. Great. Favorite, <laughs> favorite New York City meal. Uh, uh, Le Colonial on the upper, in sort of in Midtown. Beatles or Beach Boys? Beatles. Actor or actress you've learned the most from? Uh, oh my gosh, that's too hard. There are too many. I'm going to go with a friend, Allison. We learn a lot from Allison. Big community fans over here, so uh, that's, that's a good choice. Favorite baseball player? Big Poppy, David Ortiz. Wow, that's going to hurt the uh, New York folks in our audience. But to my understanding, you happen to have a husband that's a Red Sox fan. So I, I do. And, and uh, look, I mean, that's, that's the guy I've seen hit the most home runs. So what can I say? He also he's so nice. He just seems so nice. <laughs> <laughs> this one is from our loyal listener, Fast Food Nick. If you had to binge watch The Brady Bunch or Full House, which would you choose? Full House. If you could star in one recent Broadway show, what would it be? Hamilton. Were you playing one of the Schuyler sisters? I might play Hamilton. Alexander. Yeah. <laughs> Favorite Christmas movie? 
Oh, um, uh, the Muppet Christmas Carol. Wow, that's a great answer. So good. And the folks at home will be very happy to hear that we might just have one of these stars of that film appearing in next week's episode. Stay tuned. You made a good choice there. Uh, (laughs) How about this one? Most embarrassing on set or audition story? Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Mm. There are two moments that stick out. One is when I had to pretend to roller skate in a room without roller skates. Uh, That was humiliating. The other was uh, I ended up getting that, getting a smaller role in the job. It was for the apparition and a dear friend of mine, David Rappaport was casting it. Um, and and <laughs> the director, Todd Lincoln, who's a really nice guy and really smart guy, had me do what he called flashlight improv in a dark room where he turned the light off, threw me a flashlight, and I had to pretend that I was being chased by a spirit or ghost that I could not see. Um, and it went on for, I'm not joking, anywhere from five to 10 minutes with uh, no dialogue and me just moving back and forth in a uh, five foot space. It ended and culminated in me uh, crawling up onto an ottoman that I didn't realize had wheels. Uh, it flew out from under me. I flew up in the air and I landed right in my coccyx. Um, and then I asked to please be done. <laughs> <laughs> what a response. <laughs> that was pretty that was a pretty dark moment but i got that job so you know commit oh. <laughs> that worked out then for the roller skate was the roller skating role for xanadu by any chance when they brought that to Broadway? i can't remember i cannot remember i just remember having to pretend i was roller skating I mean, how do you do that like try that at home you know make that I know. that's the, I- yeah, you're not. It's not like you're an '80s kid. So that was like that was that's maybe more for their generation. I can. I mean, I look. I can roller skate with the best of them, but pretend to roller skate. Mm, I don't. They don't teach that in your acting classes, obviously. No, not. And I dropped out <laughs> from acting school, so I'm worthless there. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> How about this one? Best party that Juliana Gwill has ever thrown. We used to throw epic Halloween parties in our youth. I mean, epic. First, I threw them with my roommate, Genevieve Jones, who uh, was an actress, now is a great producer. And she and I lived together on Waring Avenue in West Hollywood. And we threw a legendary Halloween party that, you know what? You know who recently talked about that Halloween party is on a couple months ago on Dax Shepard's podcast, Monica. Monica, right? Monica is his co-host, um, I believe. And she came to that party once and she talks about it on that podcast. So it's like that party was, it was a good party. So you like to invite podcast hosts to your parties. Hopefully I earn an invite. We're on the other end of this thing. Totally well. Post Corona, you can, you're, you get out to LA, you can come to a new party. I throw. I'll be there. <laughs> Proudest moment of your career. Oh, I don't know. I'm going to have to think about that. Proudest moment of my career. I immediately think proudest moment of my life, and that's my kid, honestly. I'm very proud of her. Proudest moment of my career. I don't know. I don't know well. I've been lucky. I've had a lot. But right now I'm really proud to be on this, to be expanding into other parts of this business, like directing. Yeah, that's it. Proudest moment in my career, what am I talking about? Definitely calling action on on the first 
shot of silent date. I, I couldn't believe I got to that moment in my life. Favorite holiday tradition? Like a good Christmas music night. So a couple days leading up, all the carols, but some random songs. I love that. People coming together to play music around the holidays. My, absolutely my favorite. Also, I love making challah. I start making challah in like September and I make it kind of once a week till March. It's like my challah season, holiday season. My husband's Jewish and I learned how to make challah a couple of years ago and it's kind of an addiction. And how about this one? Um, this is what we use to wrap every uh, fastball derby. What's the best piece of advice anyone ever gave you? If you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's, a, that's an easy virtue that you can learn from a young age. So, You know, there are caveats there. Obviously, defend yourself. Speak up for yourself. Say what you believe. But I think like, when you go back to the bare bones of it, if the, the message has served me and helped me understand, you know, listen, listen, digest, then go for it. Mm-hmm. That's, that's awesome my, stuff from my mom right there <laughs> well obviously she's very proud of what you've been able to accomplish and uh we're glad that it worked out the way it did because now we get to watch you on friday night and we're gonna have a good time with that that's so exciting i hope you guys enjoy it it really is fun and cute and so christmasy have some wine have some cookies there's a lot of talk about wine and cookies in the film so have those on hand and have a drinking game. Whenever we talk about wine and cookies paired together, enjoy them. Was that like a game that you guys played on set, by the way, where you, you know, taking drinks along the way? Of wine when we were doing wine tasting, which was delightful. You know, wine tasting scene at nine in the morning. I'm signing up. <laughs> awesome stuff. And now if all the folks who don't want to connect with you on social media, Juliana, where can they find you? I am an Instagram person. That's my platform. That's that's where I most understand what's going on. So that's at official Jake Will. I'm also on Twitter, but Twitter and I, I don't know. I don't know what our relationship is or what it will be in the future, but I don't usually partake. Instagram though, I'm there. You can find me. would love to hear from you. I hope you enjoy the movie. And when Silent Date is finally released online, I hope you guys tune in. It would mean a lot to me. Absolutely. And we'll certainly plug that along the way. You're officially a teammate of the show, and we're really grateful for that and that you came on tonight. Thank you. Ah, Thanks for having me. I'm so, I'm really honored. Thank you. All right, folks. That'll close out the ball game here on Break a Bat. This is Al Malafrante signing off for the Broadway Podcast Network. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Break a Bat. This is produced by the fine folks at the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit and subscribe at bpn.fm slash breakabat. You can find me online at break underscore a underscore bat underscore podcast. And you can also find the Broadway Podcast Network on Instagram at Broadway Podcast Network. It's been so great having you here with us today, and we'll see you next time. Hold up. 
Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There is enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. <laughs> 